Well, welcome to Front Range. My name is Ernest Smith. I'm the lead pastor, and we're so grateful that you guys are with us. And we say this every week. Our prayer is that this become a home for you, a place where you can build community with others, uh, discover your purpose in life, and grow in your faith in Jesus. Hey, today we're starting a new series called For the Church, For the City. And we got a lot going on, so I want to tell you about a few of those things. One, I'm going to ask you to, to pray with us uh, over the next six weeks. Um, we, uh, th- I believe this series is the most important series we've ever done as a church. So I'm going to ask you to join us in praying. Uh, pray that God would move in our own hearts, and each one of our hearts, that God would do something in us, and then, then God would do something through us. Uh, and I'll tell you a little bit more about uh, where we're heading as a church here in a moment. Uh, two, we're going to be doing uh, daily devotionals for the next 10 days. So if you would like one of those daily devotionals to uh, be in your inbox every morning, just uh, text the word DEVO to the number on the screen. Don't text devotional. Don't text, hey, would like a Devo or anything like that because Johnny will have a heart attack. Just text the word Devo to the number on the screen and we'll make sure you guys get signed up for that. That'll come in our our, uh, inboxes every single morning for the next 10 days. And we just kind of follow along together as a church and studying God's word and uh, what he's trying to say to us. And then uh, lastly, uh, if you're not in a community group, uh, man, I'd love for you to join mine. I'm going to start one on Sunday evening, starting next Sunday. Uh, so if you are in a community group, stay in yours because mine will be really boring. Uh, if you're not in a community group, mine's going to be amazing. It's going to be the most exciting thing. Uh, and so uh, honestly, I would love for you to be there unless you're already in a group. Don't. Um, we're just going to kind of walk through this series together. So it'll be a six-week-long uh, community group uh, with me uh, at the Ministry Center on Sunday evenings. You can text the word group. Uh, not, I want to be in Pastor Ernest's group, but just group uh, to uh, the number on the screen uh, as well. Uh, here's what we're doing. As a church, this series, I, I firmly believe this is the most important series for our church that we've ever done because we're talking about the direction, where we're heading as a church. Now, some of you already know that we've, we're in contract, uh, under contract for eight and a half acres in North Castle Rock, uh, right beside Castleview High School and Castle Rock Middle School. And so our next step, obviously, is to build a building. Come on. Let's go. Anybody want to anybody get your own, your own building? Man, so that's what we're going to be doing as a church. That's where we're going to be heading as a church. And for me, I'm so excited. Uh, we've been a portable church for eight and a half years, and I cannot wait to not be a portable church with all the uniquenesses and the challenges and, and all of that. Um, uh, we're going to give you details every week of this series, give you a little bit more. We're not going to give it all to you th- today because we know you won't show up the other weeks if we do that. So you're going to have to break through the average. The average Colorado only attends church once every six weeks. So you're going to have to break through that average and be above average and come at least next week too. Uh, so we're going to give you some information. We're going to give you uh, a brochure uh, you can, you'll get as you head out today. We're going to give you a bigger one next week that gives you a lot more information. Uh, we're gonna get, there's going to be a commitment card on your seat uh, every single week. I'm not expecting anything from you uh, to do with this card uh, today uh, or even next week. We're just going to have them on the seats every week because, we, again, we know that people aren't attending church every week. Uh, so if you come and you grab this, just put it somewhere. Be praying about what God wants to do with you. Why? Because we have the land, we have the lending secured, but we need the money and commitments. We need to be able to raise $4 million, which is a lot of money. It's not a lot of money in Douglas County, the second wealthiest county in America. And it's not a lot of money to our God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills, but it's a lot of money. And so what we're asking for you to do is just pray. Like, what does God want to do with you? 
What does God want to do in you and what does God want to do through you? Our goal is 100% participation from the youngest to the oldest, from the least wealthy to the most wealthy. Our goal is not everybody give the same amount. Our goal is 100% participation, that we would all pray, God, what do you want to do with me? How do you want to use me to help our church get to that next, that next place, that next level as a church? And I know some people are thinking, man, why now? I mean, you look at our society right now, I'm like, this is like the worst time to build a church and to raise money and all of that. I mean, inflation's super high, gas prices, the stock market, like every day I'm crying, watching it go down. You know, like this is not the best time to do it. But here's what I know. Being a portable church, especially since COVID, is really, really hard. You have no power over the place that you meet in. I mean, COVID proved that. It shut us out completely. Uh, shut out every portable church in America, wherever they were meeting, completely. But not only that, today, today we're like, man, we can't wait to announce this. We're, you know, people are going to show up, all this stuff. And we show up and they've, they've uh, uh, coned off all the parking. And they're, we're like, hey, guys, what are you doing? They're like, well, we got to paint the lines. We're like, oh, we have church here. And they're like, we don't care. You're not the ones that contracted us. We, so thank God we convinced them. The guy, uh, Brandon, who runs uh, kind of point on this building, he convinced them to go to another school this morning so we could actually have church. But imagine showing up and there's no parking. Like, okay, go park in the neighborhood or something. Like, that's what we deal with all the time. You guys show up and you don't know all the behind-the-scenes stuff, but being a portable church is really, really challenging. If you want to grow, you have to have an anchor in a community. And to be honest, it's never a good time to do this. It's never a good time to, to raise money, to build a building, and all of that. But here's what I know. And talking with my friends that are pastors that have gone before me and, and done this and all of that, there's always a God story. There's always a point where, like, God has to show up. And our God story might be the fact that high inflation and, and a declining, you know, stock market and all of that, and God's just going to show up. I don't know what our God story is going to be, but there has to be one because we're taking a step of faith. And when anytime you take a step of faith, you have to believe that God's going to show up. And so we just firmly believe that he's going to. So I want to encourage you, join us every week. Uh, if you're out of town, man, join us online. If you're in town, be here in person. Uh, we're going to see God do some, some really, really incredible things. Not only am I excited about uh, where we're going to be heading as a church and some of the things we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks, but I'm excited about this series. I feel like where we are as a culture, and especially the church, uh, the big C, the global church, where we are right now in the culture that we're in, um, and we're fighting some battles. And we're going to look at a time period in, in, in the Bible that I think mirrors the time period that we're in right now. All right, by show of hands, how many of you have ever heard of the Lord's Prayer? Anybody ever heard of the Lord's Prayer? Okay, most of you. We did a whole series on it. I mean, a, a whole message on it a, a few weeks uh, or a couple months back. And, uh, man, the Lord's Prayer is probably the most popular prayer. You know, it's prayed by athletes and schools and churches all across the U.S. and the world. I love the Lord's Prayer. I love it. And there's a part in there I really don't like. In lines three and four, it says, may your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I don't like that. It's not because I don't believe it. It's not because I don't pray. It's not because I don't want to see God's kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. I don't want to see God's will be done. Of course I want to see those things. I just don't see it. Like I don't see God's kingdom coming. I don't see God's will being done very often. What I'm seeing is a higher rate of suicide conversations and people taking their own life right here in Castle Rock. What I'm seeing is a rise in separation and divorces. What I'm seeing and hearing is a rise 
of domestic violence and child neglect. What I'm seeing is an increase in the homelessness crisis right here in Douglas County, the second wealthiest county in America. So although I love this prayer, God, may your kingdom come, your will be done, I just don't see it a whole lot. And for me, here's how I typically respond. Maybe, maybe you can identify. For me, I'll pray the prayer, but then I just go back to my normal day of life. I just go back to like checking social media way too often and, and, uh, and, and arguing about, you know, which sweet tea is better, Canes or Chick-fil-A. It's definitely Canes. Or, you know, watching the Broncos go three and out again and again and again. Good Lord, help us. You know, I just go back to my normal life. Like I could pray this prayer like, God, may your kingdom come, your will be done. And then I just go back to my normal way of life and nothing changes. Why? Because God never expected us just to sit back. God never expected us to pray a prayer and then just sit back like, okay, God, let it, let it happen. God's like, you have to be a part of this. You have to be a part of the solution here. And that's what gives me hope. Like what gives me hope even in the, in the conversations that I'm having and the brokenness that I see and the challenges in my own life and the challenges in our community. And, all, and even in the midst of all of that, what gives me hope is that God invites me in. That God says, hey, I want to change things. I want my kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. I want my will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I want you earnest, and I want you church to be a part of that. God's always inviting us in. He's always, for thousands of years, invited his people into his story to change the world. Always. And we're going to see one of those, one of those time periods. And when you study the history of God's people, this is probably one of, the, one of the most challenging time periods that God's people have ever gone through. The year was 605 B.C. Nebuchadnezzar was king of Babylon, and at this point he's besieged Judah. Now, a few weeks ago we talked about the Assyrians and how they besieged Judah and, and, and how God showed up and did this miraculous thing. Well, that's not going to happen here. In fact, they're going to go in a very different direction as, as a nation. The theme that we'll see over the next six weeks is this idea of God's sovereignty meaning that God's not surprised by anything. Like God wasn't surprised when you were born. When you go through your highs and your lows, God's not surprised. God wasn't surprised that when this chubby little kid grew up and, and met, you know, the most beautiful girl that he'd ever seen in his life, and she actually said yes to him, and then he planted a church. Like, God wasn't surprised by any of that. Like, look at this kid. Are you kidding me? Like, but God's like, I got plans. Oh, you can take that thing off the, off the screen, please. That's God's sovereignty. And God's sovereignty that works today in your life was working back then, even in the crazy changes in the culture and the, the, the crazy changes and, and one superpower coming in into being and then another superpower taking them over uh, years later. And then another, I mean, all the change in regimes and, and leaders and all that, God's still sovereign in the midst of it. And the main character that we start our introduction off today with is this guy named Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was... A bullfrog, of course. <laughs> I didn't have that in the last service, and I had like a bunch of people like, he was also a bullfrog. I'm like, <laughs> so I guess I'll use it. Uh, <laughs> Jeremiah was a prophet. And a prophet is this, a prophet is somebody who hears from God, hears a, a message from God, and delivers it to a person or to a, a group of people. Now, that was the primary way that God spoke in the Old Testament before we got the canonization of Scripture. God would speak through prophets. Now, here's the deal. You couldn't just say you were a prophet because if you got one thing wrong, if you said God said this and you got it wrong, they were going to stone you. Not like get stoned, but get stoned with like rocks. Like they would throw rocks at you and kill you. And so Jeremiah, he's this prophet, and 
He's regarded as what, what we say is the weeping prophet. Because he had such a sensitivity to God's people and to God's message. And he understood how, how heavy it was with the people. But not only that, uh, and he was lonely. I mean, he said a lot of things where people distanced themselves from him. Imagine this. Imagine walking down Wilcox and maybe you're going to breakfast at B&B Cafe or something like that. Or maybe you're coming to the ministry center to come hang out with us. And there's this guy standing on the street corner yelling at everybody, you evil people. You all should die. You're all prostitutes. I mean, yeah, you're probably not going to have a whole lot of people like you. If you say things like that, like if Jeremiah wasn't today, like that's what he was saying. He was saying, you're evil. He was saying, you're going to die. He was saying, you are all prostitutes. And if he had a church today, no one would show up, all right? Like if he had a social media following, there would be no following. Like no one would like anything. He would 100% have been canceled. That's the character that we have that we're looking at and the time period that we're looking at. And that's where we pick up the story, Jeremiah chapter 25, starting with verse 3. It says this. The word of the Lord has come to me, and I've spoken to you again and again, but you have not listened. So God's word has come to me, and I keep speaking to you, and you won't listen. Any parents? Amen? You feel like that? Any teachers feel like that? Any pastors feel like that? Never mind. I'll put my hand down. Not you guys, of course. Not y'all. Y'all listen. Uh, verse 4. And though the Lord has sent all his servants, the prophets, to you again and again, you have not listened or paid any attention. They said, turn now, each of you, from your evil ways and your evil practices, and you can stay in the land the Lord gave to you and your ancestors forever and ever. Do not follow other gods to serve and worship them. Do not arouse my anger with what your hands have made. Then I will not harm you. So basically, do what God says. I do what God calls you to do. Worship God. Love God above everything. Don't do the things that the rest of the world does. Don't participate and, and worship the other gods that the rest of the tribes, the rest of the nations, the rest of the world does. Like, worship him alone and everything's going to be good. Verse 7, but you did not listen to me, declares the Lord. And you have aroused my anger with what your hands have made and you have brought harm to yourselves. You didn't listen. So now here's the outcome. If you're a parent, you've had this conversation before. You said, I told you not to do this, and you did it anyways, so here's the result. Here's the pain that's caused in your life. This is what God's saying to his people. I told you not to do this. You did it anyways, and here's the result. What's the result? Look at verse 8. Therefore, the Lord Almighty says this, because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north, and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord. And I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn and an everlasting ruin. So is God actually going to completely destroy his people? Well, he's not going to completely destroy them. He's going to completely destroy everything that's comfortable. What's led to them falling away from him? What's led to them seeking after other gods and choosing to worship other gods? And it says he's going to bring Nebuchadnezzar, his servant. Not saying that Nebuchadnezzar was actually his servant, but saying that God is sovereign. God will use anybody to accomplish his will. So God's going to use Nebuchadnezzar to come down here to accomplish his will. Then look at verse 10. I will banish from them the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, the sound of millstones and the light of the lamp. Can you imagine? But of course Jeremiah has no friends. Like God's going to banish the sounds of joy and gladness, the sounds of brides and bridegrooms. Like, what? Verse 11. 
this whole country will become a desolate wasteland. And these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. So everything's going to be destroyed. And like the Syrians that we talked about a couple weeks ago and they came and besieged and God sent an angel and destroyed them all and God saved them. God's like, that's not happening now. I'm going to send Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to destroy everything. And you're going to be servants in another kingdom for 70 years. How do we get to this point? I mean, how do we get to this place? 800 years earlier, the, the Israelites are on the cusp of the promised land. They're like right here. Like God's been promising them, I have a land for you. You're no longer going to be slaves in Egypt. I brought you out of that. Now I've got a new land for you. It's flowing with milk and honey, which means provision and protection. I have this land for you. Ready, ready to walk in it? Here's the deal. When you walk into it, there's other tribes. There's other nations. Do not associate with them by, by worshiping their gods. Do not become like them in how they worship and, and sacrificing their kids and all the things that they do. Don't do those things. And, of course, they're standing there like, of course we're not going to do those things. Like, God, you brought us out of here. Like, you're about to take us into the promised land. Like, we, we would never reject you. We would never turn away from you, God. And then they defeat the people and they begin to settle on the land and, and, and they get kings and man, everything is good. But here's what, I, what I've learned in my own life. When everything is good, I begin to settle spiritually. You ever notice that? Like when things are going hard for you, when like you're going through a tough situation, like for me, I lean into God more. I'm like, God, I need you. God, I need you to show up. I need to hear your voice. I need you. To, I, and so my prayer life is increasing, all that. But when everything's good, I begin to settle. It reminds me of this quote. Hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. And weak men create hard times. They were in a good time. And it was creating weak people. And the Israelites, they responded in one of three ways. In the midst of seeing all that was going on around them and the, the, the culture changes and all of that, they responded one of three ways. For some of them, they acted like everybody else. They didn't stand apart. They didn't set themselves apart. They didn't act differently. They just acted like everybody else. They began to worship the other gods. They began to sacrifice their own kids. They began to do these things that the other nations were doing. They just looked like and acted like everybody else. Another group of Israelites, they looked at the world and they thought, man, these people are terrible. Even those who truly worship God, they're not very strict on their worship of God. And so they broke themselves off from the community of God and they, they found these caves and they hid in the caves and they created communities in these caves where they would just focus on themselves. They would just focus on their theology. And few, very few, Said, okay, we're going to figure out how do we live in this world but not be of the world? How do, we, how do we engage our communities? How do we engage these other tribes? How do we engage the place that we're at but not become like it? Like how do we be different in the midst of, of a culture that is vastly different than what our belief system is and all of that? And I look at their story and I go, man, I don't know if we're too far off from them. Like where we find ourselves right now is the global church. I'm not sure if we're too far off from where they were in their own culture. Like I look at the global church and, and our values and our morals are under attack. Uh, almost every church, uh, every church that I know of, and then if you look at statistically, almost every church 
in the last two years has seen a large percentage of people just disappear. Like not come back. I'm not talking about like those who are still engaging online. And for those of you who are still engaging online, thank you. I'm not talking about those individuals. I'm talking about people who used to be in church and now no longer attend. They've just walked away. You look at the fighting and the bickering and the canceling of one another in the church world. She's talking to me. In the church world. I mean, you look at that stuff. I mean... I look at portable churches, and every portable church in the U.S. that was in a school two years ago got kicked out like that in an instant. You couldn't meet in your your building anymore. And we look at, like, our story, and we think our story is normal, and the story of Front Range is vastly different than what's normal. Like, we've been seeing growth. We've been seeing people come to know Christ. We've been seeing, being able to baptize people and all of that, and we're super blessed, but our story is not normal. What's normal is a huge percentage of portable churches shut down in the last two years. Like, thank God we got renaissance. I mean, we got into renaissance a few months after COVID hit, and so we were only, uh, you know, uh, online and, and the drive-ins and all that stuff that if you were around, you remember us doing. We only had to do that for a few months. If we had to wait to get back into Douglas County High School, which is where we met prior, it would have been a year and a half we would have had to wait. To get back at the same capacity. I mean, what would we look like as a church if we waited a year and a half to meet in person? And so we'd look at our church and we'd go, well, this is normal. It's not normal. What's normal is over 4,000 churches close their doors every year. And we wonder why we need a building. So we look at the church. We look at where our society is, where our culture is, and we go, what's our response? Like, what am I called to do? What's God asking of me? How do I respond to the culture that I see around me, the society that we live in? How do I respond to the challenges that we as the global church are wrestling through right now with our our values being under attack and us attacking each other and and churches shutting down? Like, what's our response? I think it's one of three things. Number one, you can integrate. Integrate means you become like the rest of culture. You become like every, everybody else. Now, what's fascinating is that the Israelites, they're in this situation. They're being besieged by Babylon and will become their slaves for the next 70 years because of integration. Because it became like everybody else. When you become like everybody else, you believe like everyone else. You spend money like everyone else. You raise your kids like everyone else. You look at sex and sexuality like everyone else. You look at politics like everyone else. You just become like the culture around you. And when you and I integrate, when we become like the rest of the world, the world responds by rejecting Jesus and the church. Because they just see hypocrites. They see people who say one thing, this is who I am, but are living a different life. They, they, if, you, if you had a lineup of five people and two of those were supposed to be followers of Christ, but they were just like the rest of the world, they would go, why, why, why do I need to look different? Why do I need the church or Jesus? Because you look like us. You act like us. You respond like us. There's no, you're not giving me any hope. You're not giving me any different way of life. They reject Jesus in the church when we integrate. The second way we can respond is we can isolate. Isolate, you run away from society. Everything is bad. And you got to run away from all the bad things. You got to run away from the bad people, the bad churches, the 
the bad government, the bad what, whatever it is. You run away from all the bad things and you just insulate, isolate yourself. I've seen so many Christians do this over the last two years. So many churches do this. And here's what I learned. I, I, this, this is fascinating to me. I had no clue two years ago that this would be the reality. But there are, I know a bunch of churches who have grown during this time because they've used this. They said, come to us. Everybody else is bad. Like, what? what hold on, what? Your church said love people, and one way you can love people is by wearing masks? How dare they? You should not, you shouldn't love people that way. Come to us. And they used this fear, and it became an us versus them, us versus everybody else, because everybody else is terrible human beings. Everybody else, God has condemned to hell. And when we do that, when we isolate ourselves, we're no longer screaming from the rooftops. We're no longer calling from the rooftops, as the scripture tells us to do about Jesus and the gospel and the hope that we have. We're crawling into our caves whispering about our theology. And we're in essence telling the rest of the world, go to hell. Go to hell. So we can isolate, we can integrate, or lastly, we can impact. See the alliteration there? You thought I'm a good Baptist preacher or something right now. <laughs> you can impact what does that mean? It's realizing that you're called to be a difference maker. You're called to make a difference. Like when it comes to the Lord's prayer, you're not called just to pray it. God, may your kingdom come on earth. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You're called to actually do something about it. How do you do that? We're going to talk about the how. But we gotta, before we get to the how, we got to get to the we actually have to do this thing. Like you and I as followers of Christ, we have to go, you know what? If I'm a follower of Jesus, then I have the light of Christ in me, and I am called to step into the darkness. That means it's going to be scary. That means it's going to be hard. It means you're going to go through attacks and all that. But here's the deal. Here's what I've learned. Okay, this isn't science. When you have light and you enter darkness, darkness has to flee. It doesn't exist anymore. I'm sorry. Thank you for the two of you. Uh, say it again, Pastor. Oh, oh, when we step it, yeah, when we step into the darkness as being light of Christ, the darkness has to flee. Come on, amen. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Let's go. Where are you guys at? Like, do you want this? Like, do you want culture to change? Do you want our world to change? If so, then you and I have to be willing to step into it. The darkness has nothing on you. Nothing. It can't overcome you. It can't overtake you. As the light of Christ, you step into it, darkness flees. It's gone. As somebody told me right before the service, darkness is simply the absence of light. That's all it is. So let the light of Christ come in and the darkness has to go away. That's what we're called to as a church. And here's what I know. I love studying history. I love studying the church and all of that. And every time, every time the church has said it is on us to step forward into darkness, every time the world has changed, every time. You look throughout the history of the world, and every, I didn't say the world has changed when we voted for the right people. I didn't say the world changed when, when you did the right thing for the school or the school district or, or what, name whatever issues we see. What I said was every time us as the church, we decide to step into the darkness because we have the light of Christ in us, and the darkness has to flee. Every time we do that, the world has to change. It has to, and it will, but it's on us. Will you choose to impact?
It's hard. It takes resources. It takes sacrifice. But when we choose to step into the darkness, we see lives change like this story. Take a look. I'm Dana. I'm Caitlin. I'm Sam. We moved to Castle Rock. It'll be three years this coming December. I was six months divorced and needed a change, and, and I started researching churches in the area and had made a list of, you know, the places that we were going to go try, and I'd narrowed it down to three. One of the reasons that Front Range was further down the list is because the other places that I had on the list had a building, and Unless you're driving by Sunday morning, you wouldn't know that a church meets right there. So I was like, okay, well, let's just go try Front Range. We'll, you know, we'll see how it goes. And we left that day and we're walking to the car and we're like, that's it. We don't even need to try anything. My big thing for me for Front Range was the community. I was really shy and like I didn't want to talk to anyone really because I was like nervous of like what they would think of me. And so I kind of distanced myself from people like especially in youth group. Brandon persuaded me to do tech. I started to get more comfortable with other people. The summer camp I went to, at first I just, I really went there pretty much for the tech. And then the last night I actually didn't do tech and I went into the actual service and Jackie and Brandon, they shared really personal moments and really hit close to home, but it made me come out of my shell and not be as afraid of coming out to people and like being who I am. I even seen it since from when I first started to now, how much our church has grown. This is definitely a church I want to be in just because of how welcoming everybody is and it's just a family it's not people i just pass by on on sunday we have meetings outside and girls nights and all these different things that we all get involved in and we had gotten kind of away from church for a few years i felt like in my head that you know i'm good i i'm okay i you know i'm good but as a mom, I wanted them in church. And, well, I'm not gonna get them in church if I'm not there. For the first however many years of my life that I was in church and never being involved, and now going somewhere that I am involved, it is amazing how much better it is and, um, you know, it makes it feel like home. That's our prayer, that this place would feel like home. It would feel like home for you, no matter what you're walking through, no matter what you're dealing with right now, you know you can come into this place and you will be loved. But also that we would be the type of people, it wouldn't just be me, it wouldn't just be our pastors or those up on this stage, it would be all of us would go, it's my job to make this place feel like home. Say, this is my church, and I want others to come in, to be a part. Because, God, ultimately, we want your kingdom to come, your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that doesn't happen through integration. It doesn't happen through isolation. It only happens when you and I are willing to step into the darkness, when we're willing to sacrifice, when we're willing to, to risk things, 
We're willing to say this isn't easy or this is uncomfortable or this is hard or the attacks are going to come, but we're going to do it anyways because the lives of other people in my own life matter enough that this means enough to do. And when we take that step, we choose to walk into the darkness because we have the light of Christ. Not only will darkness run, but you and I will see God's kingdom and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we come before you and I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that we can look at a time period of the Israelites, of your people, and see really our story and their story. God, over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some ways that, man, our, our lives reflect their lives. And God, we're going to see what you're calling us to do, how you're calling us out to do so much more, to make a difference in this community, how, God, you're calling us to be that light in the midst of the darkness. But God, we thank you that darkness will never overcome light. And Father, as we step into it, it has to flee. So we proclaim that now. And we ask, Father, that we would see that in our lives. We would see that in areas of our lives that when we step forward in faith, when we step forward as representation of you, that the light of Christ would make that darkness flee in Jesus' name. And Father, you would use us. Use us to change this corner of the world and beyond. Father, I pray you would tell us where we're at with this topic. God, for some of us, maybe we are in the integration phase. Maybe we can look at our lives and see areas of our lives where we've just become like everybody else. God, I pray that you would convict us on that. And God, you would help us to know what to change. Help us to know how to change it. So that we don't look like the rest of the world, but we look different. We cast a, a light that people will want to run to. Father, for some of us, we've, maybe we've been tempted to isolate, been tempted to make it an us versus them. God, I pray that you would soften our hearts to people, that, Father, loving people doesn't mean that we agree with how they believe or we agree with what they're doing. Loving them means that we see them, that they are creations of you and that you say every person was created in your image. So may we see a glimpse of that in people so that we can have compassion and love and not run from them or run to them. May you use us to transform lives, transform eternities. Father, may we step forward in impact. May you use us in Jesus' name.